Welcome to Tech Review, powered by Axel Springer. Here we explore the latest trends, news and updates from the world of technology. This podcast is the perfect source for staying up to date with what This podcast is the perfect source for staying up to date with what is important to know right now. You can watch all episodes on YouTube or listen to us on all major podcast platforms such as Spotify and Apple Podcast while you work out, drive or maybe even travel through space. My amazing co-host today is Vincent Ilmler and my name is Tarek Madani-Mamluk. Hi! And if you want to meet us in person, you can do this in London this September on the Quantum Tech Conference. Uh, I'm, I'm really thrilled to be there uh, and there will be a lot of amazing speakers and talks and booths uh, and we are going to be there and conduct interviews and talk about um, the latest developments in the realm of quantum technologies. If you want to have a 20% rebate on your ticket price, you can do this by purchasing your, your ticket uh, through the link on our website or in our show notes. So don't miss out this amazing offer. All right. And now let's get into the news today. Vincent is going to start with AWS. Yes, with AWS and a very interesting side story of AWS because AWS actually, I mean, uh, I think all of us know that AWS has a longer history with AI than just right now with their Titan model. Um, AWS obviously is was providing features that are also part of AI, if you want to classify that way before OpenAI and GPT 3.5 and GPT-4 were a thing, uh, or ChatGPT mainly were a thing. So um, it is interesting, I think, for all of us that uh, AWS is not further ahead. And interestingly enough, AWS last year in November wanted at their consumer event, at their customer event, wanted to present their new AI model to the world, but they decided against it in the end, this article claims, um, because they decided to decide against it because it there were still a few small things to tweak. The interesting bit, however, is that this, from the perspective of AWS, is a fortunate move. Because just a few weeks later, ChatGPT was unveiled and everybody loved ChatGPT. And Amazon very clearly says that their model back then wasn't powerful enough and wasn't mm. advanced enough and therefore would have been made a lot of fun of, I would argue, and also would have um, pr probably caused them a lot of problems with their existing customers. Um, however, this is just one part of it because actually OpenAI approached Amazon in 2018 and 2019 about investing in them because obviously with 40% of the cloud uh, market and OpenAI needing a lot of cloud computing to actually make possible uh, to develop such great models, um, OpenAI needed a partner that is powerful in cloud computing and AWS is obviously the biggest one. So they approached them and finally, however, it was um, Amazon decided against it because they said that the 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 resources OpenAI needed were very were large. They needed a lot of resources, and uh, therefore AWS wasn't ready back then. Also, they kind of underestimated the topic. Um, it's interesting because 
sorry. <laughs> it is interesting though, because Amazon back then was already working with their own AI models and mm. training them. As a matter of fact, Amazon created something. I have to look up the name myself because otherwise I will <laughs> definitely say something wrong. Um, Amazon actually created, oh no, that's the X article. I'm sorry, actually created its own uh, own tool that they are working with a lot. And that is called SageMaker, which they created for a customer of theirs and which ultimately is one of the most powerful tools in the AWS cloud to actually enable uh, customizable cloud com uh, machine learning. And therefore, AWS, ironically, looking now back, was at a very good state to A, power the growth of OpenAI and B, make this powerful technology not their own, but to bundle it very close to their services, just like now OpenAI is working with Azure. When ChatGPT was announced, uh, and now everybody was talking about it, even though there were GPT formula models before, um, uh, Amazon uh, obviously first uh, was shocked. Then they uh, relaunched something they already was were thinking about discontinuing, which we now know as Bedrock. And um, this is what they're working on currently, and Titan. Uh, so therefore, a very, very interesting bit on how AWS once had the opportunity to become the, from today's perspective, we don't know what we're go what is going to be in six months, we don't know what's going to be in a year, but from today's perspective, AWS had the, uh, had the clear opportunity to be the leader, um, because obviously Azure is still, as a cloud computing service, much smaller. Uh, but they missed out on it. Um, very interesting. Yeah, it's it's always easy to say this in hindsight to say, ah, they missed this opportunity. They could have uh, invested in OpenAI and could now be the the thing that we now see in uh, Microsoft and Azure. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, we, we could also all have bought Bitcoin in 2009, 2009 right? Uh, because then yes. we would all be crypto millionaires right now. <laughs> but it's, it's always Time. easy. But uh, yeah, and I, I think uh, AWS, at that point of time, as I said, they were developing their own platform and they were probably betting on uh, being part of this race and uh, underestimated um, how far um, OpenAI were at that point of time and that they would actually release that, their stuff in 2020, yeah, uh, 2021. Tarek, um, I oh, understand <laughs> Bedrock, sorry? Yeah, no, I, I, I just confused the dates. Um, OpenAI ah. released their ChatGPT, of course, in 2022, December of 2022. It's, it ah, was not yes. 2020. <laughs> it's not that old. <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask you, because in this article, Bedrock was mentioned quite a lot. And as far yeah. as I understand Bedrock, it is a technology that kind of lays the foundation on which you can run cloud services by AWS and connect many different LLMs yes. to it. And my question is, can you maybe explain Bedrock to me in a bit more detail? Um, yeah, I mean, basically, you already had like the the essence of it. Um, OpenAI is a, a closed system, so if you want to run OpenAI technologies, you can do this at OpenAI in their own cloud services uh, through the API or on uh, Microsoft Azure, which is their partner, of course. Um, and there you are using Microsoft resources and the OpenAI technology and everything is enclosed. Um, so you are depending on contracts with these providers and the infrastructure of these providers. Usually if you have uh, 
open source technologies like open source models um, like Hugging Face, for example, where you say, okay, I can download this, I can run this on my local machine or somewhere in the cloud, literally somewhere, wherever on AWS or in the Google Cloud, for example, you can do this if you have access to these technologies, what you have with open, uh, open source models, for example. And Amazon um, invests now in an approach where they said, uh, yeah, obviously we lost the race to be the, the first player on the market and be the dominant thing that we have now in OpenAI, but we still have this infrastructure. We still have the flexibility to run whatever we want in our cloud. And so they created Bedrock, like an open platform where they say, simply choose from a selection of five or 10 or 20, like in the future, 20, 30 open source models that are already available, like Linux, for example, not Linux as a, a LLM, um, but Lin Linux is uh, open source. Yeah, you can run it. And so uh, as you can, for example, create a cloud instance with Linux running on it, you can create a cloud instance with an open source model in there. And since we are all very restricted in uh, OpenAI technologies right now, and we can't even get our hands on as many resources as we want to uh, with these open source infrastructures, it's more scalable because we can use whatever resources are there in, in the data centers to, to run these sources. And if I want to use a different model, I simply shut down the old one and create a new one with a new technology. And so it could be expected that uh, a platform like Bedrock will be more successful in the long run because it is more flexible and whatever new open source LLM pops onto the market, you can just take it, uh, provided that uh, Amazon is adding this to their bedrock ecosystem and simply run it while Microsoft um, is, no, no, wait, wait, that's, uh, that's wrong. Microsoft is not stuck with OpenAI because nobody hinders Microsoft to create their right. own open source infrastructure. Equivalent and as a matter of fact, bedrock, I think they right? also offer Titan in Azure. Uh, I think. May, mm, is it like? Because I, isn't, sure. isn't Titan part, is, is, is Titan part of the, of the, Meta open source powered LLM. And I'm I, not I sure. know for a fact that Meta and uh, Microsoft are partnering on, maybe I'm wrong with the name, but mm -hmm. with their open source LLM on Azure. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure if this is true. Um, I, I know that uh, Meta with Llama is uh, creating their own open source. Then it uh, is Llama and I mixed yeah, it okay. up, I'm sorry. Yeah, Be because I think Titan is actually... Uh, a development of AWS and I'm not sure if Titan is, is open source. So you can run Titan, of course, on AWS, uh, but I'm not sure if I you can take up. Titan and run it in, in Azure. Yeah. No, 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 no. Now that you say it, I'm 100% sure that it is Llama that you can run yeah, in Azure. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Right, but Llama so, would be something that you can then take and run on the Google Cloud or on AWS or on Azure. So isn't it kind of ironic that Microsoft that is offering, as far as I understand, the a very, no, let's say it the other way around. AWS is offering what Microsoft is offering with Windows in the operating system world. While Microsoft is taking the exact opposite approach, because obviously it is much more beneficial in terms of revenue, because you can control much more the, this one specific feature, and is offering exactly the, the, the opposite approach. And I find that very ironic. I find it very interesting. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's politics and marketing. Um, I, I think the players are simply uh, working with the hand that they are giving. A and uh, Microsoft had this opportunity opportunity to invest in OpenAI and um, they they took it and they took the leadership and forced everyone else um, to react. And the reactions are very interesting to observe. Um, Amazon reacted with creating like an open source plug and play infrastructure while Meta was uh, reacting with simply making their model open source, um, which is also interesting. Um, you could expect or that I would have expected if Meta would have been faster and would be the first one on the market, I think they would not have open sourced Llama. They would have done exactly what OpenAI was doing, licensing it, uh, selling it for a lot of money because everybody wanted to have it and it would have been like the most valuable commodity on the, uh, on the um, AI market. Yeah, but uh, yeah, since probably. others w were the first movers, um, Meta and uh, AWS had to react. And now let's see who's going to win in the long run. Um, I'm, I'm still not sure how um, Meta is going to monetize um, their their development with Llama, if they are going to add like add-ons or if they simply say, um, okay, we are happy with the way that we are disrupting the market by uh, enabling everyone to use our technology and uh, steal these customers or the, these users from from the other platforms, um, or if there's something else coming after after Llama. I think we had the discussion back uh, yeah, a few times so. ago with Henrique, right. where we spoke about <laughs> and compared it to the the right. Android approach, where yeah, yeah. small user groups uh, don't have to pay for the open source Android uh, system, but as soon as you are uh, above a certain level of usage, you are automatically a B2B customer and therefore have to pay for the use. I think yeah. licensing, I, I think this is what <laughs> we discussed last time. Right. Well, check it out. Yeah, Dear yeah. user, check it out. I think it's four, uh, four episodes ago. Well, you go yeah. back and check it out. <laughs> exactly. All right. And now this. Let's continue with generative AI because we haven't spoken about generative AI for <laughs> such a long time. <laughs> and Google. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. In the past, we were always talking about Google and Google and everything is Google. Uh, right now, Google is not playing such a big role uh, in the world of generative AI, but uh, now they are creating something which might be very, very uh, important uh, because it will be a watermark for AI images Uh, called Synth ID. I read on The Verge uh, that the Google Mind, DeepMind team, they are developing a method for embedding a watermark in images. And this is, of course, done in a way where the image is not disrupted. So you don't have um, like a change in size, a change of quality, change, change of re resolution, or any change of visual representation. So you will, won't be able to see the watermark with your eyes. But... Uh, electronically you can detect it in like embedded in the bits in in the in the uh let's say in the sure. code of of the image and this will be done very easily so that you can use for example a browser extension and they are writing about a possible chrome extension or maybe even like a real embedded feature in the chrome browser that will show you for all the images that are loaded in the browser if they are ai generated um And so you will be able to spot generated images or original un 
ungenerated uh, images, like f photography, for example. Um, and this is right now, I think, not that important because usually you see with your eyes what is generated, like with journey images, you can still yes. distinguish them from photography. Yeah, most of them are not as perfect. Yeah. Right, right. But I, I think um, there's more to this discussion because a generative AI or generative image uh, creation is not only text to image it's also manipulating images and we already know that uh, tools like power uh, uh, um, what's it called photoshop for example or other tools uh, have the opportunity or gives you the, the possibility to dynamically remove stuff yeah you can remove a person by simply marking them and say uh, remove and then the background is synthesized in this area where this person was and so it it might be looking perfectly it's still a photography yeah but it is a manipulated photography and it could be that this technology is then used to watermark that this image was manipulated so even though it is still an original photography and it's not like a generated image it's it, it might have this watermark to let you know that this is not the original image which was created by the camera yeah. And uh, so I, I think synth ID will be very, very important, um, especially when we talk about things like elections and uh, misinformation and uh, other campaigns that are based on visual proof of something. Uh, and and uh, it becomes more and more hard, uh, harder and harder to actually uh, figure out what, um, you, what it is that you are seeing there to an extent that um, we are already not trusting things that we are seeing. We see an image or a video and we automatically assume that this might have been generated. Yeah, in the past, this was always like, I have proof, I have photography, I have proof. There's someone saying something in a video, but we are already so used to, um, to deep faking <laughs> that if you see, uh, um, what's it called, uh, the, the Barack Obama, uh, saying something into the, the camera, you assume, okay, so, someone just had fun once again uh, with deep faking. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, Tarek, you want to uh, say something? Yeah. yeah, first of all, we, I need to ask again, uh, my, I, I need to do my job and ask the stupid questions. <laughs> so I need to ask, how is it possible to watermark uh, anything that's written with code beyond the point of return? Isn't code always alterable because in the end it is just long lines of I and O's? Um, yeah, I mean, first of all, I love your questions. Um, they are they are not stupid or something. That those are always um, very legitimate questions um, about things that are not obvious because if you are not a software developer, you are not that deep into uh, all, all these nitty gritties. And the thing is, um, of course, code can always be manipulated. Uh, the special thing about images is that there is um, a large array of things that you can do with the image without actually changing the, the way it appears. In the past, uh, when you had a uh, photography, it was very simple, structured by having, for example, every pixel uh, represented by a chunk of ones and zeros. 
um, and this was very easy. You had like a green pixel in a certain color, then it was represented by a, a, a large chunk of code. Um, and then over time, um, we created a lot of uh, compression algorithms where we were able to represent the same image in a more efficient way. And then we had suddenly like uh, the, the emergence of PNGs and JPEGs and uh, all kinds of uh, formats where you had the same image, visually the same image, you were not able to distinguish them, but with a fraction of uh, the size of, of the, the ones and zeros that you needed to represent that. And even more astonishing is the way we compress videos, for example, because suddenly we don't have like a visual representation of each individual frame, but the compressor is able to simply calculate the diff from image one to image two, like the different frames, because in a moving image, the majority of this image does not change. The black background is still black in the next uh, frame, so you do not have to encode everything again. And suddenly you have like a, like a five gigabytes video uh, compressed into 100 megabytes, even though it, it, visually it does not change, simply by recalculating. And so you have a lot of uh, room in this image, in this file, to hide certain things. And you could, in, in espionage uh, movies, you sometimes find this, that hidden messages are smuggled somewhere in files which are not detectable. You have a Word document, you can read the Word document and say, okay, there's nothing in there. But you can manipulate this file by hiding stuff in, in the code of the file which is not shown in like Microsoft Word. Yeah, and, and the same thing uh, can happen with these images. Uh, and, and this kind of watermarking can then be embedded. One thing that uh, is actually said in this article, so it's, it's great that you asked this question. Um, as always with these things, there's like a war, a hidden war of people creating um, the solution of watermarking and then the other fraction working on removing or disturbing these watermarks. Like and jailbreaking. Exactly, yeah. jailbreaking, a perfect word for this. Um, and so... Um, this is exactly happening. And this article also uh, describes the same thing that, that was happening with uh, ChatGPT, for example, where um, they were creating this ChatGPT detector that tells you if a text was written by ChatGPT. And it shows you like with a 99% certainty this text was generated by ChatGPT, not by a human being. And then there was like, ah, oh, yeah, but now we are manipulating our prompts in a way that afterwards the detector will fail and it will tell you it's, it's written by a human, even though it was uh, written by ChatGPT. And so we have to adjust the detector again, right? And it's this, this mm -hmm. war of uh, the front. And the same thing is happening yeah. here uh, with, with this detector. And um, people are going to generate images uh, in a way that the, the watermark is going to fail and then it will be approved and it's... Uh, going on and on. And this article actually says something that I did not know. They are saying that um, OpenAI actually stopped working on the ChatGPT detector. They, they simply admitted that it can't be done. Uh, the, the generative AI uh, language models, they are already as so, so good and the prompting is, it can be done so well um, that it is pointless to develop a, a detector like that. And I did not know that they actually <laughs> dropped this approach. <laughs> Yeah, interesting. I mean, yeah. it's incredible that this is doable. Uh, and um, yeah, this is, I mean, it's, it's just as you said, it's something that never stops. Yeah, exactly. And, and then again, um, maybe this is already like a, like a sign for the future. We 
assume that we will be able to have these watermarks and have like a detector that tells us if, a, if a, an image is uh, faked or not. The thing is, if we can't be certain because we know, okay, only 50% or 60 or let's say 90% of the images that are generated are de positively detected, can we then still trust the rest of the images? Or if we say, okay, this image is, is uh displayed as like an original image, but there's still a 10% uncertainty. And if I don't trust it, what good are these watermarks then? Because um, if it's like signed as this is an original, I want to trust this, this expression, right? Otherwise, yeah. I can simply leave it out and assume for every image that it is generated. I know for a fact that if Chris would be here, we, we would completely <laughs> break the frame by yeah. um, talk about art on top of it. Because, I mean, yeah. who is using that? Yes, obviously, it's also very helpful for screenshots of things that you leak on Twitter. But uh, specifically helpful, obviously, this is for, for artists, mm. uh, which are extremely threatened through uh, creation through AI. I mean, we spoke yeah. about it in our other other podcast. Um, at one point, we will be able to say, I want that movie and this movie, but I want a Christopher Nolan style and it will happen. <laughs> um, so this is going to create a lot of problems, I'm sure. And um, therefore, I think that specifically for artists, obviously, this is on the one hand, a very good news because they will be able to markdown for eternity uh, that they were the creators Eternity yep. meaning as long as jailbreaking needs to then clean <laughs> up or wipe again the identification of everything. Yeah. So yeah. Um, maybe it is pointless talking about it now. May, yeah, maybe <laughs> it is pointless. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a recurring story. In, in the past, we also had uh, software computer games and they were protected by copy protection. If you make a copy, it is unusable until people started jailbreaking those, right? And so it is not no. a, a new thing. It happens all the time. <laughs> well, now thinking about it, I mean, okay, I, I, this we should talk about this next time. Uh, <laughs> but I'm going to say it now, and then you either going to be like, I don't know, or maybe you. I'm pretty sure that you will have an answer. Where does blockchain come in there? <laughs> because that obviously... Is, yeah. Yeah, no, sorry, yeah, please. Yeah. No, no, th this is actually a, a great comparison. Um, the, the blockchain <laughs> plays a great role in uh, copyright protection, for example, because uh, in the blockchain you have a ledger that is, is uh, capable of um, giving you like the truth, the, the, um, the meaning of a watermark, for example. So you, you can add a signature in an image and the signature is representing something. And the question is, what does it represent? For example, ownership of Tarek. So, so my signature is stored on the blockchain. So if you find it on an image, you can be certain that this image is mine, me as an owner or a creator or something. Uh, so, so you have the, like the single point of truth in the blockchain. The problem is the blockchain does not help me um, with the let's say, authenticity of, of, of the watermark. The watermark can still be manipulated or re removed or, or damaged. Um, but like the meaning of a watermark can be stored in the blockchain. Um, and so you have for verification, you always need like two sides, the one side that is, that is marked and the other side that stores the meaning of this mark. Um, and there you, you, you might want to have this in, in the blockchain. For example, if I uh, have like a photography of a document 
Yeah, and I want to know if it is true that like like um, un, uh, unchanged. Then I can create a signature of this document or of this image and store this one um, in the blockchain. So the the signature in the blockchain itself is worthless, but in combination with this document photography, I can prove that this one is untampered with. Yeah, and the same thing so could happen with images. So what if we would create, and maybe this is exactly what you just described, and I'm just saying it in a different way. Maybe I misunderstood you completely. All of that is possible. Um, so what if we would create, if one would create a watermark mm -hmm. that is only unlockable with a token? Yeah. Would that be a thing? Or am I now wrong? <laughs> no, no, um, absolutely. I mean, this is like... Or is this um, what you described? No, 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 no. Um, it's 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 great. We could we could create like a um, like a lecture for university in 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 this because um, those are <laughs> exactly the two paths of uh, of of cryptography, cryptography, where you uh, either can use cryptography to sign something, like prove the authenticity by creating an encrypted signature. So simply, you know, like the encrypted, uh, like the decrypted result and use the encryption to uh, verify that it is true, that not a single bit was changed or the other way around that you use the cryptography to uh, encrypt something that is then unreadable unless you have the key to unlock it. So you can you can either use um, the, the signature approach, for example, for emails. It's, it's done every single day when you have encrypted emails. Uh, where where you signed emails, sorry. Uh, everyone can read it, but your key proves that it is true. Or the other thing, the encrypted thing, where you simply get an unreadable mix of letters and only with the key you can un uh, decrypt it and then read it. And so those are exactly hmm. the two the the two use cases that you use encryption for um, uh, in, in like data protection for um, ensuring the authenticity and um, ensuring that unwanted eyes ca cannot read it, yeah. Mm -hmm. But to sum it up, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm, it's no, like, no, no, I love it. I love. I'm just too just dumb. Like, keep uh, talking. But I love it. <laughs> No, no, I, uh, please, 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 please enlighten me. So to sum it up, watermarking that is only unwatermarkable or which only can be jailbroken with a token would be possible. Um, I would say it like that um, because it would be very, very expensive to save every watermark signature of every single image that is taken on the blockchain. This would be the, the perfect um, system. If you have one photo and you have this one watermark, like an individual wat watermark that is, for example, yeah. also signed, like the, the author of the watermark is signed and the watermark itself is stored in the blockchain, then you can be sure that it is not tampered with and that who, who it came from. Yeah, so, so this would be perfect. But you know uh, how many images are out there, uh, images, um, uh, photographies and having for every single image uh, a counterpart on the blockchain would be very expensive. Of course, if we have like very, very um, special images where we say this thing is actually important because it proves 
I don't know, like crime scene or something, someone is going to jail because of this image, um, then it, it might be important to have this original watermark and have the watermark signature uh, stored on the blockchain because only then you can be 100% sure that is, it is what it is and who it belongs to and who signed it. Um, but so, uh, yeah. yeah. So for commercial use, this would be because there you can just price it in the cost that you will have with the signature. Yeah. For the private person like you and me, just taking a photo with our iPhone and iCloud automatically uh, signs it in the blockchain, uh, unrealistic uh, due to server costs. Yeah, I mean, at least with the blockchain technologies that we have right now, um, it is probably sure. not feasible. It might be that blockchains um, uh, are developed in the future in a very, very highly efficient way that it doesn't cost nothing and uh, it's just used like a like a hard disk or something then maybe it makes mm. sense yeah but you you yeah. always must uh, remember that the blockchain is growing because it is un in immutable everything that you put into this blockchain will stay in there forever it will not um, expire because this is the nature of no, the blockchain sure. So with this growing amount of images, uh, I, I can't imagine how large this blockchain would be after a day or two days or a week or a month of runtime because it simply keeps growing and growing and growing. And you always need to yeah. have multiple copies of this blockchain because otherwise it would not be um, secure. And so it is like an exponential growth of this blockchain because it is growing on all of these nodes. <laughs> but <laughs> where is it stored? I mean, I can so the, the say blockchain? we oh, take oh, oh, oh. yeah. So let's say we take I have Bitcoin. Let's say we use yeah. the Bitcoin protocol to do all of this. This is the right way to frame it, right? This is the right way to phrase it. Yeah. I, I just do. Okay, so we 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 sign via blockchain protocol Bitcoin and. Or Ethereum, let's take Ethereum because it's, it's a bit better, advanced. Yeah. yeah, let's just take Ethereum. So, uh, how do I need to own enough Ethereum to own enough of the storage space of Ethereum? No, no, no. You you need um, Ethereum to do um, um, transactions. On this blockchain, so that, someone that I know. Needs, that, yeah, that yeah, I know. Yeah. But my question is, how do I validate the cost? Because sure, the blockchain is growing and growing and growing, but who drives up the server cost for this? Who owns these servers? Yeah, the, China? everyone can can own these yeah. servers. Um, th there are a lot of these servers in, in China. Everyone can have a node. You can have a node on your local computer and then you are part of this blockchain network. This is exactly the nature of this thing. Um, if only one person has like the copy of the blockchain, it would not be secure because then he would be able to tamper with it. But since there so are thousands... This is my... Yeah. yeah. yeah this there, is there also my understanding. Yeah. But, but so why, why would the server cost go up? Uh, sorry, not. Server cost is too too specific why would the cost of storage go up it's not necessarily the the cost of storage but this whole process i mean the storage use goes up i yeah. understand that yeah yeah I mean, you have to host it. You you need to pay the electricity. You have to pay um, the the network bandwidth. You have to pay um, the storage itself. So even though it is not like a dollar value, um, on the cent value or something like that, um, it, it need to be maintained. And uh, in in a thousand 
a thousandfold. If you have a thousand nodes where the blockchain is stored on, um, you are But I thought the blockchain is... But I thought the blockchain... Sorry, I'm interrupting. I'm sorry. No, you... What no, am I causing? Fine. I'm sorry. No, no, please, please. I, I, I am an asshole if I interrupt all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the thing is, um, it's, it's a distributed system. So this one transaction causes changes on thousands of nodes because all of these blockchain uh, copies need to stay in sync. And this is uh, the, the difference between having like a local database on your computer where you save something, then it is only a, a local transaction, but the blockchain is secure because you have thousands or 10,000 or 100,000 of copies of it. And uh, the larger the blockchain gets, um, the more expensive it, it is because it gets gross uh, larger and larger. Um, and uh, so using a blockchain as data storage is a very inefficient way of storing stuff, but it is the most secure one. Um, and that's why if you want to be secure, you go with blockchain. But if you use this in a very extensive way, like for every single image that you take, uh, then I would say it is a very uh, expensive way to store images or to secure images. But, but isn't the blockchain stored like a puzzle with a billion pieces on all of our devices? Uh, no, not automatically. So why, I think, why would that be a problem? I, I think um, there are approaches of uh, splitting like the blockchain in, into different pieces. Um, but ultimately, there, there must be uh, like a full representation of, of the blockchain and it needs to be somewhere. Yeah. Um, and, and the somewhere can't simply be everywhere. Someone needs to operate <laughs> the service and pay for the service. And that's where this cryptocurrency actually comes from. If I own an, a, a server and I'm mining on this blockchain, meaning that I'm adding more and more blocks, which is then, let's say, uh, verified through the blockchain algorithm, um, then I paid upfront something. I paid the server cost and I paid the, the, the electricity. And for that, I get this cryptocurrency as a reward. That is my incentive for bringing this infrastructure into this blockchain network. So I get something for spending something. That's my incentive for creating the server. That's why people are creating these farms for Bitcoin and everything, because they are actually getting paid by the blockchain to do that. So who owns the full blockchain server of Ethereum? Nobody Mr. owns... Mr. Dr. Ethereum? Who, no, who no, no, owns no. it? That, that, that's exactly the, that's a, the nature of the blockchain. Nobody owns it. It's completely decentralized and that is why it is existing. Usually if, if you but have I... a bank, if you own a bank, <laughs> then you own the bank. People are giving you the money and you have to trust this person that they keep the bank. The blockchain is decentralized. Everyone owns a copy of it and the algorithm says, because nobody owns me, it is secure. Only like the majority of the nodes is, a, is capable of actually changing the blockchain. It's, it's democracy. It's democratizing you, but, data. But didn't you just say someone needs a full copy of the blockchain? Somebody needs to people. operate the servers. Yeah. Who, yeah. Who, 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 but who? Why would you do that? Because and what happens when from stake of work to stake of proof? That, yeah. What happens then? 
I mean, this this is only the algorithm. This is uh, simply the way that the consensus mechanism uh, allows changes on on this blockchain. The, the The thing of democratization is that you are part of this network. There are thousands and ten thousand and hundreds thousands of nodes who are operating this this blockchain. So you do not own you own a copy. You own the server with one copy. It's like um, you own. Uh, the right to vote. Yeah, it's not you are deciding for the next president, but you have the right to contribute to the vote for the next president. So indirectly, you are part of this uh, of of this election, and you are part of the system. You decided for the president, but not you individually decided the whole presidency. And this is what what how blockchain is is uh, working. You can own a server, and you get paid for owning the server, and this means you are part of this blockchain network, but this does not no mean that you own the blockchain. You simply own like this one democratic piece of the, uh, the whole thing. But, but then where comes in the, 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 the price increase by using more of this blockchain? Because I am contributing my own computing work mm -hmm in order to use the blockchain. So why would it become more expensive? Those are two different aspects. The one thing is uh, that the algorithm itself decides how much re of a reward you get out of the system. Um, so th this increases, of course, over time because of different factors. The other aspect is the pure physical cost that you have to operate the server, where you say, for example, um, coal prices go up And that's why my electricity bill becomes more and more expensive. And so operating the server, it becomes more and more uh, expensive. This has nothing to do with, with the blockchain itself, but simply outside factors like electricity costs. That's why, for example, um, operating uh, a, a blockchain server in Canada is more efficient than operating it in Germany because the German electricity prices are that high that operating the server here is way more expensive than in a, in a different place. Um, but the, the, the technical cost of um, doing transactions on this blockchain, this depends on what kind of the transactions you are doing and how many you need. If, if I simply buy one uh, NFT, for example, then this transaction of buying this NFT is simply changing sorry, not changing, adding this transaction of ownership that is not yours anymore, but mine, this is one transaction on the blockchain. This is a one-time thing that's not that important. But um, having every single image that is created on this planet be watermark and saving this watermark means you have millions of transactions per second. And this is, of course, a major thing. And this, the, the blockchain will double in size like every five minutes. Uh, that's that's not true because it's yeah but you you, know, you get yeah, the picture yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but i would ask a question now that would be if we are not already in it put us into a circle so Maybe. i think at that point i will just thank you for this very 2022 <laughs> discussion i love it i love i love being taken back to the times of Yeah. Should I buy an NFT? <laughs> And yeah. good times, good times. Yeah. <laughs> And after this, I will in German ask more. <laughs> I promise that. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, if if you are uh, still listening to us, uh, let us know if this is something that you, <laughs> you as a business... A visitor, sorry, a viewer or a listener are still interested in, let us know. Then we might uh, talk more about crypto and blockchains and in the future. If you have the same challenges as I, please let us know as well. Yeah. I, I, But I it's am very a, challenged, yeah. apparently. It's it's nope. it's not an easy um, topic, and I know a lot of about this because I was spending a lot of time studying and working with blockchains in the, in the past. But even I, as a software developer, had my problems when I heard about the blockchain for the first time. This is a completely new way of thinking and storing data and, and using it for different use cases that we did not have before. I mean, we always had distributed systems, but this way of using cryptography, uh, uh, distribution and um, consensus mechanisms is completely new. So if you are not in this realm, it is quite confusing. It's it's not only you, Vincent. <laughs> I can promise you it is confusing. That, that's that's how, as far as I go with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. But I think uh, that's... That's good for for this week, even though I thought it would be a, a very short episode. And even though yeah, technically <laughs> blockchain was not even part of, of our news story today, it was uh, still yeah. very, very interesting. Because, no, uh, absolutely. But, but your question was perfectly fine. Watermarking stuff and storing things or verifying things through the blockchain are actually very related topic. And uh, I think that um, this is one of these use cases because people always keep asking what is the blockchain still used for because uh, like web3 is that it's not that uh, we are just out of this hype phase and we are now talking about real use cases and one real use case is use blockchain for verifications for example of watermarks and so it, it, it's a perfect use case for this topic that we had with more watermarking images But now I think we Thank are you through. For explaining uh, it to thanks, me. thanks yes. for joining us at Talk Tech Review, and see and hear you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>